This is the Statman Sports Podcast, where we keep topics in context. This is your host, Steve Duffus, who is still wondering why the Seahawks didn't run the ball. Ah, it's a beautiful day to talk sports, baby. Welcome to episode number 89 of the Statman Sports Podcast. This is your host, Steve Duffus. We are a day late. But we have a good reason why we are late and we will break that down to you into the couple of segments coming up in this episode for those of you who've been there since day one thank you so much for showing that support for those of you who are here for the first time we also want to thank you for spending some time of your day to listen to me just ramble about numbers and everything sports related so you're wondering today what are we going to cover and what specifics are we going to talk about so today we're going to break it down into two very hot debated topics over the past couple of weeks and more so the past week topic number one would be the nba mvp and its criterias when should we hand out the mvp what does the mvp really stand for i feel like we talk about this topic millions of times but there's always a different angle that i never thought about so today we're going to break that down and also one very hot topic is it a coincidence that in nfl week two all the big some of the big stars or most all of the big stars have been injured or nicked up during week two does this have to do with lack of preseason lack of otas covid people been hanging around doing nothing for a couple of months so what is really the deal in week two and we're going to break down and see and talk about the notable uh players that were injured and how is that going to affect their teams their particular teams that they play for their offense and the defenses and what we have to look forward for the rest of the nfl season so with no further ado guys let's just get right into our first topic about the nfl and what are you talking about bro huh what are you talking about man what (laughs) bro what are you talking about man in week one of the nfl season most everything played out as we all thought you know the good teams won their particular games there were some surprises as it is always in the nfl because that's what the nfl is all about there's always a week that something doesn't go as planned so leading up to week two we expected superstars teams to get better into their reps because obviously there was no preseason there was a lack of otas there was less contact and obviously there was COVID. so there is many of reasons why we can excuse players for not being up to their level in week one But leading up to week two, what we saw in week two was something that was, let's just say, maybe a coincidence. Maybe it has a tie to something that happened in the offseason and also COVID. Many superstars were injured during week two. And there were some notable players that were actually injured. And I want to go over them and how they impact the upcoming rosters for teams and how we have to look forward to this for the rest of the regular season. So pretty much week two started out with Jimmy Garoppolo throwing a pitch to uh, to Raheem Moster, he went for an 80 yard uh, touchdown, and it ended. And obviously, the week ended with the Seahawks making a goal line stand, stopping Patriots quarterback Cam Newton in the end at the end of a game in a classic match again between the Seattle Seahawks and the New England Patriots. In between those two moments, a star player seemed to go down with an injury every five minutes. Both Jimmy Garoppolo and Raheem Moster were done by halftime. 
two of the five starters of the 49ers were also lost in the Jets game. You can make a pretty good, talented roster out of all the people that were injured, all the players that were injured rather in week two. This, these lists include three star quarterbacks. Well, three starting quarterbacks, I would say rather. Two top fantasy draft picks that, including myself, I have one of those players on my roster. And a bunch of offensive linemen and other players that were notable to their teams. So, obviously, the first question was asked when all these injuries were popping up. Would these players have been likely to suffer these soft tissue these soft tissue injuries of these season in the ending injuries if the nfl had operated under the typical schedule that they set out every season look to me it's just impossible to say but i'm obviously not fully convinced of that reality as well because many of the star players that were injured that we are going to touch on now most likely during the preseason they probably wouldn't have seen a lot of reps we're talking about saquon barkley we're talking about Nick Bosa, Jimmy Garoppolo, Raheem Mostert. So, and the list goes on. These players probably would have seen reps. But on the other hand, though, it for me, it does matter that you get reps. Because in the offseason, you're pretty much doing your personal workouts. You're working on building your body. You're working on building your game. You're not necessarily getting a lot of contact. NFL type contact during the offseason so until you come into the preseason and the OTAs is when you start to feel out your body you start to see the fruits of your labor of all the workouts that you did all the all the all the work that you put in in the offseason so not having that has caused many a players to fall slowly into their grind but for now what I want to do is run through these injuries and tell you in detail what that means for the team to come so the biggest notable injury to me it would be defensive and nick bosa of the 40 uh, san francisco 49ers well some of you listening might be thinking well what about saquon barkley well i'll tell you my reasoning as to why i think nick bosa this week out of all the players that we have lost and all the teams that have lost their superstars why he is the biggest notable player that's what's lost because if you if you don't know nick bosa's history he's a second overall pick and since defensive coordinator uh robert Saleh took over at the 49ers and that defense took off nick bosa has literally been the catalyst for that defense he played a full season he hasn't missed a game he racked up nine sacks he had 25 hits and also in the postseason he added another four sacks and you can even make the argument that nick bosa could have been the Super Bowl MVP for the 49ers, could they contain Patrick Mahomes in the last couple of minutes and Tyreek Hill not breaking off for that long pass by Patrick Mahomes? So thinking about that, you would say that Nick Bosa, since he's the catalyst of that defense, would put the San Francisco 49ers in a precarious position. But they didn't only lose Nick Bosa, like I said. They lost Jimmy Garoppolo as well in the first half. Raheem Mostert was also done in the first half. So the 49ers seems to be, they seem to be pretty much depleted to the point where you start to think, well, <laughs> how are these guys going to operate? They also lost Solomon Thomas. Um, they also lost the, the Forrest Buckner. Obviously, he went to a free agency to the Indianapolis Colts. D Ford also missed week two with a neck injury. And even when he was healthy, the Niners had typically preferred to use him against uh, pass rushes 50 55% of the defensive snaps. Look, 
In the big picture, the 49ers should get Ford back and will likely have to use him in an expanded role now that Nick Bosa is out. It wouldn't be shocking to see an aggressive front office pursue options at the trade deadline to reinforce themselves because, again, that's how much of an impact Nick Bosa makes for that San Francisco 49ers. Certain things just won't operate the same way if he's not on the field. So I expect the 49ers to make some moves. I expect them to... Uh, try to expand their roster because as it seems it's not just the defensive end but also the offense needs some help and if your offense is not clicking and the quarterback and in this case Jimmy Garoppolo playing on a bum ankle for for the foreseeable future the defense being on the field too much is going to cause a lot more injuries that we would not like to see so now that we transition into the second most notable injury that I think was quite important in week two saquon barkley of the new york giants he also has a torn acl while saquon barkley is expected to make a full recovery from his torn acl this is more of a long-term disaster for the giants in my estimation than a short-term disaster because with the team they're trying to put together under coach joe judge they really weren't going to compete for the nfc title because we all think that the Dallas Cowboys are probably going to win that division. Barkley's injury is pretty much setting the organization back a year because they were also in rebuilding mode. And a team like the New York Giants who have been trying to rebuild for a long time, building their offensive line, getting a decent tight end, and finally getting a quarterback, Daniel Jones, after Eli Manning retired, it is important to surround your talented quarterback the young quarterback with all the weapons necessary so you can see the type of development he would make and Saquon Barkley being out and I also must be fair and neutral Saquon Barkley did not have a great game against the the uh the Pittsburgh Steelers in week one <laughs> he ended up with 15 rushes in negative yards so he didn't play that well but you can project with the talent that Saquon Barkley is he probably would have broken out another thousand yards for the rest of the season but that's something we will never know now because he's out for the season but um going back to the point of daniel jones it is quite important to understand that's the type of impact saquon barkley has on the passing game but to be fair this wasn't going to be a make or break year for Daniel Jones, but Barkley's absence puts more load on his shoulders and provides an easy excuse as if man struggles. And that's something I've been thinking about for a while because <laughs> we live in a, in a world of narratives and people thrive on it. By the time 2021 starts, Daniel Jones would have made as many as 28 pro starts and have played alongside a healthy Saquon Barkley for a full game in just one of them. And that was last Monday against the Steelers. Saquon Barkley, he also suffered a high ankle sprain in, in uh, Daniel Jones' first start last year against the Buccaneers. He missed three games, and he wasn't his old self for the rest of the regular season. Now, ACLs, ankles are completely different things in different sports, but they all have the same effect. If you don't let those injuries heal properly, if you try to rush back, you're not really going to be the same. So, besides from getting fully healthy, Saquon Barkley also needs to sit down and think about this since he came into the nfl and obviously now that his acl is confirmed over the past cc over the past two seasons he's either been injured or greatly limited by his injuries his injury strangely may buy gettleman more time <laughs> and this also pushes back saquon barkley's timeline for an extension okay and that is going to 
work on Saquon's mind. Because as an NFL player, we all know, the money is not guaranteed all the time. One injury can end your career. And that's why players push. That's why players hold out to get paid for first before they step on the field. And this injury, again, Saquon Barkley being the player he is, I don't think his money is going to be in jeopardy. But we all know how these owners work, man. Any little excuse, any little reason not to pay you your money, <laughs> they will make that excuse for it. And especially those in New York. And that's just my take. And remember, Ezekiel Elliott got paid. Christian McCaffrey uh, up for a big extension as well. So how does Saquon Barkley fit into all that? So that's what an injury does for significant players. Then we have <laughs> my fantasy stud on my fantasy team this year, my main account, Christian McCaffrey. And <sighs> I've been battling with, with Christian McCaffrey because regardless if he's on and off, regardless if he's on or off the field uh his his high ankle sprain injury is going to affect him in various ways and, and this is something we we need to look at and i want you listeners to pay attention to star players first of all star players have a way of trying to force their way into back into the field regardless if they're fully healed or not because guess what they're competitors they're playing on the highest level so they want to compete and help their teams win but History suggests that that's the bad idea and it creates the possibility for more serious injuries. We've seen players like Adrian Peterson, Odell Beckham Jr. rush back from high ankle sprains like the one Christian McCaffrey has right now and shortly thereafter they suffer season ending injuries. Luckily one player, Adrian Peterson, he returned to the MVP level but while Beckham was still uh, trying to recover from his injury he had still a lot to prove because guess what after averaging 95.8 yards per game over the first couple games of his career he's now sitting at 73.1 yards per game look having Baker Mayfield in your quarterback and playing for the Cleveland Browns has a lot to do with that but also the fact that players like him didn't take the time to get fully healthy look while I don't think Christian McCaffrey is at risk for a long-term injury, if he takes the appropriate time off, there are players who have had their careers greatly impacted or even shortened by high ankle sprain. You guys remember a guy called Roddy White, right receiver for the vaunted Atlanta Falcons offense back in the day? In 2012, Roddy White had 1,351 yards, and he played through an ankle sprain in 2013, and he was never ever again like never ever again this is not an exaggeration he was never again the same player he was and that's something that is very concerning to me with christian mccaffrey because he is the heart and soul of the carolina panthers he is the fantasy stud for a lot of people's fantasy teams i don't know if christian mccaffrey plays fantasy football and i'm sure he's not really thinking about that while he's injured he doesn't care about our fantasy teams but I still believe that he has a lot to think about because it's not a torn ACL where we all know, okay, you just can't do nothing with it, you're out. So a high ankle sprain, you can tape it up, you can go back into the game, you can play through it, but what are you putting at risk? Your entire career. So do you rather sit out a couple of weeks, and in this case, Christian McCaffrey is going to sit out a couple of weeks, or, or does he want to play through the injury to help his Carolina Panthers, which quite frankly, 
are not going to be in position to compete to make the playoffs. So what is Christian McCaffrey going to do? Now let's go over to the West Coast and talk about the Denver Broncos. Another notable injury that to me is going to affect a lot how that division is going to shape out. Drew Luck, the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos, he's he's been having ups and downs. Since the past season, he's been trying to fight for his job. He finally got the starting position. He's been playing okay thus far, but the offensive line is still quite concerning. And then having Philip Lindsay not being available as well in the backfield to run the offense the way they would like to, Drew Luck has been seeing a lot of blitzes. He's been seeing a lot of uh, teams trying to keep him in the pocket. And he's been struggling with that a bit and him having the type of injury that he has an ac joint you can play through it we've seen players play through it a couple years ago ben roethlisberger we've seen um, um even russell wilson at a point uh playing through these type of injuries but how much of the pain can you take and how much hits can you take because the nfl is just a game of hits and drew luck being the type of quarterback that he is fighting for the position he's trying to fight for in denver and uh, having his backup uh, brisket behind him, ah, Driscoll, give me brisket. I'm sorry. I mean Driscoll behind him. Driscoll has played, has been playing okay since Drew Luck went down, and he played pretty well in week two as well. But there's a number that is quite concerning to me, and that's something that's not just applicable to to uh, Driscoll, but also to Drew Luck as to why this injury is quite important for him to think about, and something that I want you listeners to really pay attention to. He's been dropping back on 15.4% of his passes and he's been hit on 40% of those. Last in game in week two, he dropped back 40 times and got hit 39 times. So that's quite concerning. That says a lot about your offensive line, but it also says a lot about you as an individual player. How many hits am I willing to take? That question in its own is important for us to think about. How much of something are you willing to take? How much of it can you withstand? And in the NFL, if you take too many hits, it's quite simple. Your career is going to end very fast. Take, for example, Cam Newton is still playing now, but Cam Newton is very much suffering from a lot of hits he's taking. He's a big 6'4 quarterback. He can take the hits. But how much of it are you willing to take? How much of it can you withstand? That's why it's important for quarterbacks. A quarterback that lasts a long time in this league, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, John Elway, Joe Montana, Phil Simms, Donovan McNabb, Kurt Warner. Those guys over their career, they can move, but they learned how to get the ball out their hands quickly. They learned how to read defenses a lot better. Those are things you do as basic things at the quarterback position in order to prolong your career you get the ball out your hands quickly you avoid injuries of course they are freak injuries but those in your control meaning when you drop back get the ball out quickly and that's what is quite notable to me and as to why i wanted to bring this up about drew luck because once he returns from his ac joint if he decides to play through this, he's going to have to answer that question about taking hits and how long and how many hits he's willing to take in order to put his team in position to win. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, you have a message you want to share to the world, or you think it would be fun to have your own sports show like I do for the Statman Sports Podcast, podcasting is very easy. 
inexpensive and is a fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your own podcast. And since I have my podcast on Buzzsprout, it's one of the easiest decisions I've ever had to make. Your show can be online. It can be listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes of finishing your recording. So podcasting isn't that hard when you have the right partners. And the team with Buzzsprout is passionate at helping you succeed. So I would encourage you to join the thousands of podcasters that are already online with Buzzsprout and try to get your message out there. Let's create something great together. Now we finished talking about some NFL. I want to now shift my attention to the hottest topic to me going on right now. Because I'll tell you why to me it is the hottest topic. And I think it has been one of the hottest topics in sports history, for that matter. Um, the NFL happens once a week. So we focus all the attention on the NFL on Sunday and Monday nights, sometimes Thursday nights now. But most of the attention on the NFL is on Sunday. So we talk about all everything football in between uh, Sunday and uh, Monday. But the hot topic has been the NBA MVP criteria. I feel like or I felt like lately that somehow it is incorporated within my podcast by default to talk about the NBA MVP criteria. And I'm sure a lot of people, and I'm sure you listeners are also to some extent quite tired of hearing about this. But to me, it's a hot topic because number one, it's a sport that I have played extensively, a sport that I study on my free time. And when I mean study, I actually go back and look at film. I look at you know, things that I can improve on my own game even now, even though I don't play on any professional level, but I just like competing. So I try to get any type of edge I get by just watching NBA tapes, watching NCAA tapes, etc., etc. But the MVP this season, because of all the circumstances, has been a lot has been allowed, I would say, to be disclosed later than anticipated. Usually over the years, for those of you who are new to this whole basketball awarding situation usually the mvp award is given out between game one and game two of round two of the nba playoffs but for some reason this year they waited till after the second round to give out the mvp even though it didn't make any sense that they ended the voting before the bubble started so it starts to create a type of confusion especially for the casual fans as to why the MVP is being voted the way it's been voted. And it and in my estimation, it creates a lot of dumb arguments. And I'll tell you why they are dumb. MVP stands for the most valuable player. The argument I always hear is: well, if you take a team, if you take a team and you take particular player off the team, where would that team be? Well, I can necessarily make that argument for any superstar or star in the NBA. If you take a star out the team, the team probably won't make it very far. But that's just a simplistic answer. But then you get to the point where I believe that I break things down in a way where I separate myself in this sense. A lot of people don't look at the big picture. They don't look at the details and certain analytics to define what a most valuable player is. For example. I'll use the late great Kobe Bryant in the 2005-2006 season that Steve Nash won the MVP. The Phoenix Suns that season, I believe, won 59 or 60 games. 
he had a they, Steve Nash had Amari Stoudemire, uh, Sean Marion, uh, Tim Thomas, all of them in their prime. They were number one in the Western Conference with the best overall record. They end up eventually losing to the San Antonio Spurs in the Western Conference Finals, and the Spurs end up making, I mean, not the Spurs, I'm sorry. They end up losing to the Spurs in the second round, and Steve Nash won the MVP. Was it a gripe then? I don't, I don't particularly remember because at that time, I wasn't dived into the, the, the idea of this argument. And why I bring this up as important? Because that same season, Kobe Bryant, this was his roster. It was Kwame Brown at center. I mean, Kwame Brown at power forward. Chris Mim at center. Lamar Odom at small forward. Smush Parker at point guard. And Kobe Bryant at shooting guard. That was Kobe Bryant's starting roster in the Western Conference. The vaunted Western. And at the time, the Western Conference was a vaunted Western Conference. It was deep. A very deep conference. Kobe Bryant managed to win 45 games with that roster. He averaged 35 points, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists that season. And he was nowhere near. He was nowhere near top 3 in MVP voting. Why I bring this up? Because to me, that shows the importance of what an MVP is like. It's the pieces around you. Kwame Brown? Chris Mim? Are, are we really serious? The only player that was decent on that team was Lamar Odom. Okay, he was the sixth man of the year, and eventually him and Kobe end up winning championships with Paul Gasol and Andrew Bynum. But that roster, look at that roster. Think about it. Some of you don't even know who Smush Parker is. We don't even know where Smush Parker's at, or Chris Mim, or Kwame Brown. Kwame Brown was known as the guy with no hands. That's who Kwame Brown was. Kobe won 45 games with that particular team but all we kept hearing from the media was well steve nash won 61 games his team has the best overall record but steve nash was only averaging like 15 points and 11 assists but the narrative was well he made all his teammates better kobe Bryant was not likable at that time he really was not and some of it was on kobe because of just the way he carried himself but but this raises the question what is the MVP about? Is it about narrative? Is it about your performance on the field? On the court? That's what I think the MVP is about. It's about your performance on the basketball court. You don't need to like me to see my performance. To see what I do on the basketball court. The type of effect I have on my team. If Steve Nash was on that same Lakers squad. They probably would have never won 45 games. Because some of the things Kobe Bryant was doing in that season. No other NBA player at the time was able to do. Kobe Bryant was the MVP of the league. But they decided to give it. And this is how it's been. And I agree. For the last 40 years, this is how it's been. The best player on the best team by record in the conference. That's how it's always been. I can use another example. 1993, when Charles Barkley won the MVP. The Phoenix Suns had the best record. The they had the best, the better overall record. But Charles Barkley didn't have a better season than Michael Jordan. But yet Charles Barkley won the MVP because I guess, I guess, the narrative was well. Why? Let's just give somebody else other than Michael Jordan. 
We can make this same argument for LeBron James. LeBron James is now first all-time in runner-ups in the MVP. So we fast forward to 2020. And the debate is, well, Giannis should have not won the MVP. It should have been LeBron James. And I'll tell you what, after this long rant that I just gave you, my point was to tell you guys and to try to explain to you why the NBA MVP would forever be an ongoing thing. Because a lot of people debate that the MVP is based on a narrative. Because all I've been hearing the entire season, oh, nobody has done this at 35 years of age. Nobody's playing as well as LeBron James at 35 years of age. Oh my goodness, he's averaging 25 and he's leading the assess, the league in assess at 10.2 assists a game. Nobody at the age of 35 have been this good. Nobody at the age of 35. So you get my point. The media is creating a, narr- a narrative in order in my estimation to give the mvp to a person who really doesn't deserve it just because it creates a nice story Giannis is not a nice story he's really not because guess what the milwaukee bucks had the best overall record for two straight seasons that's something we kind of expect now because they've done it before Giannis has been the best player on that team but this year i would say lebron james has got well not has got but i would say excuse me lebron james has been robbed in various other seasons with the mvp but this season was not one of them and we need to stop it because if for the last 40 the 30 last 30 40 years we've been giving the mvp to the person who has the best record in the nba almost with the best numbers on that team why is it even an argument and for this season it shouldn't even be a argument there is too much that went in Giannis's favor for people to even have this argument. Again, this year is not even an argument. We can talk about previous years, but my point of bringing this up is that it's not even an argument this year. Giannis played an average of 30 minutes a game. He had the highest PER in NBA history. He averaged 30 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, 54% shooting. He was the best defensive player in the NBA overall. He had the number one defensive rating. His team had the number one defensive rating. When Giannis was on the basketball court, the Milwaukee Bucks only allowed 98.1 points a game per 100 possessions. When he was not on the court, they still averaged pretty good. They still averaged 102, which was best in the NBA, followed by the Toronto Raptors and the Los Angeles Lakers. That was just on the defensive end. And like I said, offensively, 30, 30, 13, and 6 in 30 minutes? We have never seen that before. That's how effective Giannis was. So how can it be that we are having an argument that LeBron James should have won the MVP because he took a team that was nothing last year and made them a great team now in the Lakers? Everybody knows I'm a Laker fan. I'm a diehard Laker fan, but I also have to look at things neutrally. The Lakers, before LeBron James were injured last year, they were fourth in the Western Conference, heading up to the uh, the third and second uh, seed. The Lakers won garbage last year. They were younger. They were less experienced. But they were not trash before LeBron got injured. So this idea that he just took a team that was nothing and made them into something, it's, it's kind of not accurate. The third point I want to make is, did we forget that the Lakers traded for Anthony Davis 
even at some points in the season, LeBron was not even the best player on the Lakers for stretchers in the M in the NBA season. This playoffs proves it again. For stretchers, LeBron has not been the best player. Anthony Davis has been consistently again. If you just look at his averages, he's had he's had subpar games. He hasn't played consistent in a few games. But overall, Anthony Davis has been the most consistent performer in the playoffs for the Lakers thus far. So that goes against the argument for LeBron James, which makes me transition into this point. A lot of people are saying, including Kevin Durant, that I heard lately on on the Joe Budden on the Joe Budden podcast, he talked about that the MVP needs to extend into the postseason. Well, if we run with that idea, then. Michael Jordan should have won nine MVPs or ten MVPs, eleven MVPs even, if that's the case. Is that really what we want to do? Is this the precedent what we want to set? Like Shaquille O'Neal said on Inside the NBA, his point was, if you're the best basketball player in the NBA, shouldn't you automatically be the NBA? No. I say no because not because you are deep if not not because you are considered the best player in the NBA means that you're automatically performing as the best player in the NBA. Giannis has performed as the best player in the NBA these last two seasons. Hence why he won the MVP and in this case, he's become the third player ever to win defensive player of the year and the MVP in the same season. Again, what is the NBA MVP criteria? Because I've always tweeted about this. This is something I've said for years before I even got a podcast, before people even knew about me. I've always said the NBA is the only professional league that never gets the MVP right. I still I still don't understand. How did Dirk Nowitzki win that one MVP? I I still don't understand. They got bounced in the first round by the Golden State Warriors, the Baron Davis and those guys. Down in the Bay Area, they got bounced in the first round. But does that take away from the fact that Dirk Nowitzki had a great, amazing regular season? No, it doesn't. But why did he win the MVP? Was his numbers better than the person who was second runner to to him that season? I don't have the notes in front of me, but that's something we have to think about. Is that the reasons, a narrative? Are we creating? Are we creating stories as to who we want to win, or are we looking at things neutrally to give the person who deserves the MVP the MVP? How are we really looking at this? And that, to me, is the obvious question. That, to me, has always been the question in the NBA. If we are going to keep a certain criteria, why are we moving the goalposts every year when there's a player that we don't want to win or we're tired of giving it to them? Why are we moving the goalposts? If said player is performing at a high level, for instance, Giannis, last year he put up 25, I believe it was 25, 12, and 5. This year he's putting up 30, 13, and 6. If he won the MVP last season, his team was the best team. And this year, again, his team was the best team in a regular season. And he's putting up better numbers than he did last year. Why are we even having an argument that he's the MVP? And again, I understand. This is not a perfect world. This is not going to change overnight. But we have to start to look at things in a different way. We have to sit down. The NBA has to do something. I don't know. Because 
another thing that grinds my gears there are people who are actually voting and i do agree with lebron james on this and i want to finalize my point this way there are people who have ballots who probably don't even watch the game there was this one guy on twitter i don't even remember his name he voted andrew drummond on a defensive player of the year one taking away votes from deserving players it's like he took his ballot and said you know what oh man i forgot to fill this in let me just fill this in and just throw it in and, and mail it into the nba so they can get my vote what we need to do is give media members credible media members sit down with these people and allow them to look at the season as it should be are we going to include narrative are we gonna go are we are we going to just use the numbers today i can't speak too well narrative numbers records your your value to that particular team how do we how do we consider value is value relative to one team or the other is it relative to the player's name by that i mean not because you're lebron james means that you go to any other team therefore you become the mvp is that the criteria we're going to add because I can say the same about Giannis. I can say the same about Jimmy Butler. I can say the same about Kyrie, Kevin Durant. Was Steph Curry not an MVP because Kevin Durant played on this team? Are we going to penalize superstars for playing with other superstars? What are the criteria for the MVP? And that's why I love this debate. And that's why I love having it every year. But in the end, this year it was not a debate. Giannis was the clear MVP of the league. Everything played in his favor. Best record, best player, best defensive team. Everything played in his favor. And the only thing that was going for LeBron James was that he was leading the league in assists. And he had a great narrative at the age of 35. But in the end, again, it's a great, it's a great debate to have. But it's something I want you listeners to think about. Leave me your comments under this under this podcast notes when you see them and we will continue having a debate about this ah we've come to the end of another episode that was episode number 89 we're 11 episodes away from episode 100 man Man, i feel so blessed if you're still here listening thank you so much for spending 40 minutes of your time with me today listening to uh, the analytics and the breakdown of NFL Week 2 and the NBA MVP criteria debate. If you like this episode, you can always hit the subscribe button if you haven't already to get the notifications for the upcoming uh, episodes. You can also visit the website statmanpodcast.com to get a breakdown and the details about everything we spoke about with the numbers as well. And uh, if you like merchandise, you can go to store.stopmanpodcast.com. Also, guys, before I forget, very quick announcement. We are now featured on Amazon Music. So you can go there as well. Amazing. So with no further ado, man, that's all for the episode today. And then we'll see you next week. But for right now, Statman signing out, baby. Thanks for listening to the Statman Sports Podcast. See you next time.